Life is overwhelming. In the midst of our modern chaos, all the technology, all the demands, all the bills, the kids, the job, the marriage, it's easy to forget that our Bible is full of stories of people who found themselves overwhelmed too. From Hannah, the mother of Samuel, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. From Nehemiah, a builder, to Jesus, a carpenter, they all knew what it was like at times to carry an overwhelming sense of smallness. Though each circumstance was different, each reaction was the same. Some of the greatest prayers ever prayed. slowly fades out. Hey, good morning, church. We are so thrilled to have you with us here at HTC Victorville. Oh gosh, we are so proud of what our God does. We're so proud of our people and we're so grateful to have you with us. We're in another week of our summer series called Overwhelmed and Overwhelmed looks at an individual who's in a remarkably difficult spot and then what sort of a prayer did it produce? Because that's one of the repeated patterns in scripture that God instructs us, calls us to, woos us to, to handle this life. And so if you'd like to raise your hand, we'll give you notes so that you can learn from another um, story, another individual, another prayer this weekend as God continually calls us forward um, through scripture. Uh, I want to say this, that uh, all of life's circumstances tend to do something to us. And, you know, I don't know if you remember back to your sixth grade science lessons, um, but in the animal kingdom, they talk about a fight or flight response to difficulty, right? And so uh, the fight response is that, um, that animal that typically, when they're threatened or they feel um, uh, like nervous, they're ready to throw down, okay? Um, that's like wolverine. And then, uh, and then in some, some different types of species, when they feel threatened or, or at, at discomfort, they're ready to run away. That's like a wombat, okay? So, so some, some of us in this world, when we go through difficulty, when we go through a dark time where there's confusion or we don't feel empowered, we have this fight in us. And it's like Wolverine, like Hugh Jackman in a, you know, an undershirt with just ripped arms and, and adamantium claws, okay? And you're like, rah, I will fight my way through this. And that, that motivation can be good because it can push you to act on your negative circumstance. But most often in us, it produces just aggression and anger. And we most often lash out at the people who are closest to us because we're brilliant people and we funnel our anger towards the people we love the most. You know, go figure. And so there's that. But then there's like the wombat, like the guy that likes to run away, right? And sometimes when you're in difficulty or darkness, your circumstances drain you of energy. And you don't have like the fight, like, man, if, if you were on a movie poster and a tank top, people would wonder what, why they cast you, right? And so you tend to shrink away and it detracts your energy. It saps you of motivation. And we say that, oh, I'm just enduring this season, but really we're just retreating from it. And somewhere in the middle are all of these individuals that we've been reading. All of these individuals have been um, in a spot that is difficult or dark. And they responded in a way that is untypical for our culture. I read something about 10 months... Well, let me clarify. When I say I read something, I should say I saw a quote on Instagram, okay? So let's not get in like, oh, Pastor Tim's up on a mountain somewhere reading old books. No. I was, you know, scrolling through looking at pictures of sunsets and puppies, and then there was a quote. 
And the quote was remarkable. I liked it a lot and it stuck with me. It's probably going to stick with me forever. I remember one when I was a, a teenager that said, a failure is an event, not a person. That one just always stuck with me. This is one of those for me. And it said, optimism in difficulty isn't naive, it's leadership. And I thought, wow, what like a flip of what our culture does because our culture lives to criticize. Our news cycle is a 24-hour vicious cycle on who can slam the other party the best or the loudest or the longest or the worst. It's like this, you know, this silly deaf comedy jam slam fest where we just are intoxicated with our own ability to criticize the circumstances around us. And then this quote is fascinating because it like stands out from everything else our culture does. That optimism in difficulty isn't naive. It's leadership. And that hit me, especially as we're moving through the series, because then we read stories in scripture where men and women choose to rise up against their circumstance and not be angry or apathetic, but somehow now demonstrate faith in a consistent, involved, loving, patient, powerful God. And they act on it through prayer. And I know that we live in a day and age where, you know, Prayer can seem passe or old school or like, yeah, I did that once. Why didn't it change? Man, I'm telling you that these stories of Daniel in his circumstance, Nehemiah in his circumstance, last weekend when Tom taught us through Jesus in the garden. And man, if you are listening right now and you have not heard that message, man, put in your earbuds, click on your phone and pretend you're listening to me, but listen to Tom's message on Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. You want to talk about someone in a dark spot choosing to act on it through active prayer? Whoo, that was good. And today we're going to look at Mary and her prayer, the Magnificat, this historically important, often repeated prayer. But I, I want to put you guys in the spot where she was when she prayed it. And so we're going to, um, we're going to walk through Luke chapter 1 through story, and then we're going to work through the verses of her prayer. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke 1, you can. But um, Luke opens with the story of a baby, right? We all know that because the Gospels all open with the story of a baby. But Luke opens with the story of a baby that you're forgetting. He does not start with the birth of Christ. Luke starts in verses um, 5 through 25 with the story of John the Baptist. So the way he tells the story in his Gospel is he says, there was this guy named Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest. And he was an older priest from what we learn in Luke's gospel. And a priest was different. A prophet back in the day would speak on behalf of God to the people. And so it's like God was behind him saying, hey, bro, you've got to say this to the nation. And a prophet would get up and speak. And so in our organized form of our faith, you know, throughout the centuries in American Christianity, we typically, in all church settings... Big or small, doesn't really matter. There's a teacher that then speaks about the truth of God to a group of people, and then we all react as the body of Christ. Well, back in the day, there was a prophet that would do that, but then there was a second sort of a person, like Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. And I'm sorry, I know what I'm about to do is wrong. You should not do this as a public speaker. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to turn my back on the audience, okay? A priest would represent the people to God. Instead of an audience of the nation, the priest would walk into the temple and he would walk into the tabernacle and he would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice or offerings 
on behalf of everyone. Because the people were not his audience, God was. And so a prophet and a priest operated in different ways. And Luke tells us that Zechariah was a priest and his focus was God. He was the right lineage. He was the right rotation. It was his turn to go in to the presence of God. And when he did, Luke says that there was an angel there waiting for him. The angel's name was Gabriel. There are a couple of angels named in scripture. And Gabriel is the one that brings the news about babies in the gospels. And so Gabriel is there and he says, Zechariah. God is going to give you and your wife a child and that child is going to prepare the hearts and the minds of people to get ready for God's own son. It's this massive, it's this huge, it's this faithful promise. It's an honor, it's a blessing. And Zechariah says back to Gabriel, yeah, right. Are you kidding me? For so long, I have acted kind of as a father to the nation, representing them to God, and I've never had a child of my own. For years in my family, I've never known what it's like to hold a child or to grow a child or to teach a child. And now you show up of all time, like my one time to come in and get to do the pinnacle of what I am able to do. It's almost like you're taunting me, man, and my wife. My wife has been heartbroken our whole marriage. And I've carried my heartache and hers because she's never been able to conceive a child. And now we're old. We're too old for that. And so you're going to tell me that we're going to have a child? And Gabriel is like, um, yeah, Zachariah. Yeah, I'm very aware of the situation I'm in. Most of the time, though, I'm in the presence of God. And so when God tells me to go tell people things... Here's the thing, dude. I've just seen it happen every single time. And so I am aware of what you're telling me. I am more aware of what God does, what God says, and who God is. And so Zechariah, here's the thing. Because you've challenged God, you are going to talk for the duration of the pregnancy. Because I don't want your doubt casting dispersion over what God is doing. And so you got to be quiet. Ladies, can you imagine a little bit? Like, just It would make the pregnancy a little bit easier, right? If your husband just, just couldn't talk. Just for like nine months or so. (laughs) All right. The only reason I can say that is we're way done having babies. (laughs) And and so Zechariah, he's done. He's not talking anymore. And he comes out of the the temple, the tabernacle, the holy of holies. And everyone's asking him like, dude, why did you spend so long in there? What happened? And he has to communicate and write. And he's trying to tell them what's going on without being able to speak. And he says, dude, an angel showed up and he told me that God's going to move and we're going to have a child. And everyone's like, whoa, but you, you guys have never had a child. and You guys are old and what? And now you can't talk? Like what? What's going on? You see, in this story, a baby wasn't very likely. Like that was an unlikely thing to happen. And it's interesting because they had already walked through a really long season of just discouragement that their circumstances had never brought something that they wanted. And then God shows up through Gabriel and says, hey, your time is now. And all of that darkness produced in Zechariah doubt, right? And confusion and disappointment and frustration. It was like he was over here. He's like the wombat of the situation. And he's like discouraged. And then in that discouragement, he kind of lashes out a little bit and says, where's God been all these years? Don't you understand we're too old for this? And then it gets back to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is honored by Luke 
Because in, I think it's in verse 25, she expresses gratitude and faith. And she's like, oh my gosh, God, I cannot believe you did this for us. I can't believe this is happening. God, I'm so grateful. That is the opening story of the Gospel of Luke. And it's really interesting because it is a parallel and a contrast to the second baby story. You write this down and then we're going to talk about something for a minute. There's another baby in Luke chapter 1. Don't worry, that's the one you know. I'm not jacking with you anymore. That's Jesus, okay? This pregnancy was not possible. And I want to be very careful what, how, uh, this sentence is correct. But we've got to roll back the tape like 1,800 years, okay? So for a while, there was only the expression of the Christian church, mostly through home churches. And then some cities began to grow larger and larger, and they would build rooms to house churches. I've been in parts of the world where um, there were these big octagonal rooms where a larger and larger church body could gather. But then something weird happened. The, the Roman emperor Constantine like put his stamp of endorsement on the Christian church, but in a weird way, in a forceful way. Like you were assigned to be a Christian at that point. And then there was the collapse of the Roman Empire. And in the collapse of the Roman Empire, the world didn't have a clear dominating leader. And so whoever was the strong guest nation typically married their power with the organization of the church. And you really got the, the beginning of the organization of the Roman Catholic Church. That's how that really was born. And guys, for a thousand-ish years, that was the only game in town. There was like there were other expressions of Christian faith. Don't get me wrong. And if we were doing nitty-gritty Christian history right now, we could talk about all sorts of other movements. But for about a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Church and whoever was like the biggest, you know, bad bear on the block, they would marry their power together. And the most consistent voice was the Roman Catholic Church. Well, along that time period, that history gives the Roman Catholic Church a really dominating influence on Western culture and on Western thought. That's just a natural result. And a humongous part of Roman Catholic teaching, understanding, worship, expression is caught up in the person of Mary. It's an extremely big deal to that expression of faith, okay? And today, I'm, I want to be humble. I want to be clear. I would like to be courageous with what I present. And I just want to say this, that if you're already a little bit nervous because you've got a lot like modern day, so like the last 500 years, there was a split, right? There was a split away from the Roman Catholic Church. We call it the Reformation. We call it Protestantism. We call it Evangelicalism. But really for about 500 years, there's been a separation. And over the last 500 years, both sides have either been um, like antagonistic towards each other or trying to build bridges. But just know that even in this room, we've all got a lot of different backgrounds coming into this conversation. And the person of Mary, the conception of Christ, and the birth of Christ have a lot of hooks hung on to them. I'm not trying um, to avoid anything. I'm trying to teach Luke chapter 1. I am very aware of the long theological history from a number of angles. And if we wanted to have a wonderful argument today, we could all just hop on to Facebook and and have an argument. Because that's what Facebook is for. Puppies and arguments, okay? Church... I'm trying to elevate scripture and I'm trying to elevate a single prayer 
And so we're going to just look at the story of Mary as Luke writes it, an in deeply engaging story. And so when I say that the pregnancy of Mary was not possible, I'm not diminishing the fact that we affirm the virgin conception and the virgin birth. We believe both things. We teach both things. I'm not diminishing the significance of Mary. I'm trying to unearth all the way back in Luke's mind when he was writing this down, he was really deeply impressed with the way this young girl reacted to what happened in her life. Okay? So that was my history lesson. And that's, you know, my mea culpa. Let's just look at Luke chapter 1 right now. We don't need to argue right now. That's what CNN and Fox News are for. Okay? So let's look at another baby. It's after the story of John that Luke chose to tell the story of Jesus. After we have the backdrop of that first conception, we have another. And the same angel, Gabriel, goes to Mary. So instead of Gabriel going to now the father, Gabriel goes to the mother. Instead of going to someone who's old, he goes to someone who is young. Instead of going to someone who's important, he goes to someone who's humble. Instead of going to someone who had waited too long, he goes to someone who didn't think it should happen yet. And Gabriel says to her, Hey Mary, you found favor with God. And God is going to produce a pregnancy in you. And it's going to be his choice And your child is going to be conceived from God because we don't want him to have a human father because we want to break the pattern of the curse. We want this child to be divine. But he's going to come through you so that he can also be human. Because in the marriage of those two natures, the person of Jesus will be unparalleled. And any concept of human history and any future achievement in human progress... And so Mary, you're going to carry a son and you're going to give birth to God's child and you are going to be the mother of a king who will follow in the line of David and who's going to have a kingdom that will rule forever. And Mary looks back at the angel and she says, wow. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing. Me and Joseph ain't all the way married yet. And there's like a social agenda we have not yet. Like we just is like, we got like, I got a purity ring on still. Um, We, I went to this youth group event and we all like wrote a pledge and we did a prayer and we sang a song. Gabriel, um, um, I'm a virgin. (laughs) Now. If we're looking at this, not with all the messy backdrop of Catholic and Protestant history, do you see what Luke is doing through the telling of these two stories? Do you see how there are a contrast and a parallel with each other? Because Zechariah protested when Gabriel said, but there was some sass in his voice. There was some frustration. He kind of lashed out and God said, Zechariah, back off, bro. I'm going to achieve what I'm going to achieve, but I want you to stay out of it for now because I need faith to float to the surface what I want and then Mary speaks up and she's humble about it and Gabriel does not chastise her when she says how can this be since I am still a virgin Gabriel says God is at work and Mary's not chastised 
Have you ever had um, either two kids with you at the same time or the same kid having two responses? And you tell them something like, hey, here's where we're going to go eat after church. And then they like lash out because they eat one thing. And you didn't know that a human being could grow only eating Cheerios or only eating chicken nuggets. You're like, you've never eaten a different color other than a different food. Like you only eat things that are like light tan. Come on, like just... I will lose my ever-loving mind if I have to have pizza again. And so you tell your child where you're going to eat, and they just lash out. And it's disrespectful, it's, it's, it's ungrateful, and it's filled with sass. And you look at your child, and if you're especially you're somewhere public, and you're like, child, I'm about to spend money on food to keep you alive. And right now, when you get in the car, your life might end. So just... <laughs> I've heard people react that way. (laughs) There's that. But then there's the other type of response too, right? When you tell your kids something that's just hard and they don't want to go through with it, but there's a humility. There's like a sadness in them or a fatigue or a fear and they ask you back and they're like, hey, it's not a challenge to your authority. That's not what it is. Well, your heart reacts differently to that, doesn't it? Well, okay, so Luke is telling these two stories brilliantly together. And Zechariah is just, he's sassy, man. And he fires back at God, for real, now? Like now you're going to do this when it's too late? And then Mary, here's the crazy thing. What Mary was told, Mary was sweet and humble. And she says to Gabriel, Gabriel, what you said is not possible. That's true. Now we affirm the virgin conception, the virgin birth. But you put yourself in Mary's spot, sitting there with an angel telling you something that you don't have the luxury of 2,000 years of church history to develop and articulate and defend and affirm. She's sitting there and she's like, that's not possible. And then your mind starts to spin even further when Gabriel affirms her gently and says, no, 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 sweetie, this is, this is what God's doing through your life. Okay, man, how am I going to tell my family? <laughs> like, that seems like it's going to be a challenge. How am I going to tell Joseph? Like, Joseph for sure is going to know that it wasn't him. My mom might not know. Like, I might tell my mom, like, no, mom, it wasn't Joseph. God. And you're like, really? <laughs> how am I going to tell Joseph? Because he's going to know that it wasn't him. How am I going to tell the people in my town? Like this, this young girl, her mind starts to spin. And so the way Luke tells the story is she's faithful. She's humble with Gabriel. And she just asks a very normal question. And then she goes off to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, the lady who had a husband They got visited by Gabriel and Gabriel said, hey, your wife's going to have a baby and that baby is going to prepare the hearts and the minds of people to get ready for God's son. And so Mary is like thinking through all these things and guys, I'm walking such a fine line that I want to be humble and faithful to scripture and I'm not trying to be critical of the person of Mary at all. But guys, she was in a rough spot. Yes, absolutely for all time. She would be honored as the mother of God's son. But dude, when she's pregnant, man, she's going to be ostracized. 
and disbelieved and henpecked and backbit and gossiped over. And so she kind of retreats off to Elizabeth's. And she gets to Elizabeth and she tells her what's going on. And Elizabeth says back to her, Holy cow, Mary, as you're talking, when I heard your voice, my son freaked out. I didn't even have a Wendy's Frosty. It's not the sugar. It's like, like my son is freaking out listening to you, Mary. What God is doing in your life is amazing. And then that's what finally gives way to Mary's prayer, the Magnificat. Guys, this is a cool deal. Because of all the difficulty that now rests on Mary, of all the difficulty Elizabeth had walked through, now these two women in Scripture are being elevated as examples of faith. Courageous, world-changing faith. And it's easy for us to only listen to the story in church go, man, God, change the world through me. Do something big through me. Use me on a national or an international scale. I'm like Kobe Bryant. I should be used in like British Airway commercials because God is going to change the world through me. Guys, these women were walking through a hard spot. And Mary hears Elizabeth affirm her. And then she steps into this prayer. Now, I want to say something about prayer and then something about old desert wood fences. And then we're going to read the Magnificat, okay? So prayer is a a hard one to elevate because there's a rhythm to our life in prayer. Because for the believer, a difficult circumstance should, should give me motivation to pray on it, right? And so I do. I raise up and I'm like, God, I believe you're strong. I believe that you know. I believe that you love. I believe that you're involved in my life. You're both like imminent and transcendent. I believe that you're both big and humble. And so God, I learn those things about you and I pray on this situation. And then you walk it through and you're like, oh man, God, I'm so grateful. But then you go back to the circumstances. And I don't know if you've lived longer than six months But there's another difficult circumstance somewhere in your life. And it fatigues you. And you're like, wait a second. But I live in the iPhone world. Like every three and a half months when my phone gets a smudge, I just get a new phone. Or my phone only has two cameras. I need three cameras. Like I just need the newer thing. I don't don't suffer difficulty. That's not what I do. I just get what's new. And scripture is aware of this pattern of difficulty and darkness and then a call to be faithful. But then difficulty and darkness and then a call to be faithful. You know what's really cool about Mary's prayer? Is if you go back and read the Old Testament, it looks a lot like Hannah's prayer. You know what's cool about Hannah is she looks back to the ancestors before her. The people like Jacob and Abraham. And so there's this lineage of faith and it's like scripture understands that we're going to get fatigued with having to go back into prayer about things. And so scripture is a cycle of darkness pushing people towards light. So now let me talk about my fence and what I mean by that. So our house is around 20 years old. It's a wonderful house. We are blessed. I'm fortunate. It's got room for all of my kids and our dogs. It's amazing. 
and my backyard, um, we got a deep backyard, uh, and the fence runs from, you know, the side of the house all the way to the back line of our property. And back in the day when the builders chose the materials for our fence, they picked the grade of wood that was right above paper. Okay. And so like, if you take one step back, it's just like really nice stationary. And then like one step forward, government has to classify it as wood. And, uh, and years in the desert wind and desert sun have cooked it to death. And so right now, if you look at my fence for longer than five seconds, it brittle and it falls apart in that spot. Well, I've got two dogs. They're four years old and they're full of life and love and energy. And, uh, they're both 40 ish pounds. And when they go outside, um, they don't want to be out there because they believe they're children and they, you know, belong in the house. And so they immediately turn around and look at the door. They're like, oh no, we're outside. And they'll look at us like, mommy, don't leave me outside. This isn't where dogs go. And we're like, you are going to poo in the house if you don't go, go. And so then they finally resign themselves to the fact that they have to be outside. And then they remember, they're like, oh, there's dogs on either side. On the east side, our neighbors have a great Dane. Okay. One of the smaller dogs in this world. And... And both that dog and our dogs, they'll like run to each other at the fence and they're both like barking at each other like, you got to share your own yard. This is our territory. Unless you want to play, of course. That'd be cool if you broke through the fence and you played because that would be really fun. And the neighbors on the west side, they've got two older dogs and some smaller dogs. And like the older dogs have put on some weight over the years, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's just more of us to love, them to love. And... And so our dogs will run over to them and they'll be like, make sure you stay in your yard, you stay in your territory. Unless you want to play, of course, that would be pretty cool. And so it's just like, and the dogs just walk through the fence at this point, man. It's awful. And both neighbors are great. Um, none of us want to drop the money to put a new fence all the way to the back. So our fence is embarrassing, guys. It's got these like long boards to go from like, ooh, there's a good board right here and we got to span all the way to this good board right there. Okay, cool. Now we have like a living board. Then you got to nail a board to that. There's different heights. Like some of them like we'll saw the board in half and like do a side. It's embarrassing. You are never going to see my fence, okay? <laughs> and I'm so tired of like, I just patched it up. And Wendy's like, I know, but the dogs. And I'm like, I know the dogs. The dogs that I love. Okay, I'll go back out again. Fixing my fence is not hard. I know exactly what to do. I know that it's going to take me about 30 minutes to cut the wood, find anywhere that I can attach, you know, with scotch tape so it doesn't fall apart. But I know how to do it. I just don't want to. I just want it to be better. I just want it to be new. Scripture teaches that the response of a believer in difficulty is active faith. It's prayer. And so what we're going to walk through with Mary is not a one cure fixes all things. It's not. Mary is demonstrating spiritual maturity through this prayer. And so we're writing four things down that you can extract out of her prayer and say, okay, that's what I can do. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? This is what you can do. The first thing is we're going to read the prayer and then we're going to write the ingredients down. Verse 46, Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord 
And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. Do you see how big that statement is? Because her parents might doubt her. Joseph might doubt her. Her town is going to talk about her on Facebook for sure. And she says, all generations are going to call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors. There's four things that Mary includes in her prayer. And you would be smart if you grabbed any of them. Cheat off her homework. Write them down. The first thing is her prayer is relational. Verses 46, 7, 8, and 9. She just talks about the fact that God is paying attention to her. And that's so comforting to her. She says, man, I glorify in the Lord and I rejoice in God, my Savior, because he's been mindful of me. And all generations are going to call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. Do you remember when you were in junior high and people were starting to believe that like girls didn't have cooties, but girls were cuties? And you're like, man, I know that was clever, right? (laughs) Um, You're like... Man, I hope someone has a crush on me someday because that would so validate me and give me worth. And now we've got teenagers and we try and teach, especially our girls, sweetheart, boys are dumb anyway. Like their opinion of you does not validate your person. But back in the day, it validated you, didn't it? And then in high school, when we thought we were old enough to manage an individual relationship and conflict and communication, we're like, I'm going to have a girlfriend. Why? You are still a dummy. And so... (laughs) So then people start to date and we get nervous that maybe no one will ever date me. And then somewhere out of high school or college, people start to get married. And you worry if you can ever trick, convince someone to marry, to marry you because it shakes you. It just does. And then you get old, right? And you got kids and your kindergartner has been invited to a birthday party. And it's not your set of friends. You're not going to your friend's party. You're going to your kid's kind of friends party and you show up at the house you're like i don't know any of these fools and you're like worried because your husband had to go to work or that your wife had to go to your daughter's soccer game and you are all alone and you're like oh my gosh i'm all alone and you're nervous again just this aspect just this part of mary's prayer she articulates to god i am so grateful that you are with me I cannot believe that you, that you are like, remember me, God, and that I have relationship with you. I don't have a husband yet to ground me. I might feel isolated from my own birth family right now. But God, I am telling you through prayer, I am grateful for my relationship with you. And it grounds her heart. It's a big deal. The second thing that she expresses is humility. She said, before there was Kendrick, there was Mary. In verse 50 and 52 and 53, she says, His mercy extends to those who fear him. He's lifted up the humble and he filled the hungry with good things. Man, Mary says, you know what, God? The weight of this circumstance 
really is weighing me down. And here's what's crazy, God. I'm so glad that I'm humbled because you take care of the humble. And I'm so glad that if I wind up humiliated, that you're going to be my vindicator. And so God, if I'm hungry in this season of life, I'm so grateful for it because you're the sort of God who feeds those who need it. And it's funny because we get resentful in those moments. We wonder why we don't have or why we are not. And Mary's like, this is awesome. The fact that I'm in a humble spot right now is perfect because God is the sort of God who is humble and favors the humble. And so she's content in that circumstance. Third thing is that she's full of faith. She says in verse 54 and verse 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he's promised forever. Mary could have been resentful. She could have been like, really, God, you're going to deliver us now? What about when Rome came to power? Where were you then? What about when Greece came to power? Where were you then? What about when Persia came to power or the Assyrians? Because God, it looks like to us, you've been gone for a long time. But she decides in this moment, I'm going to say things that I believe are true. Because those things are going to form my heart. When you've got little kids and your, your mom or your grandma gives them a Christmas card and it's got $3 bills in it, and your kid opens it up and your heart starts pounding like, oh my gosh, my child's about to be ungrateful with my relative. Oh no. And so you step in fast before they like look at it and go, for real, $3? That can't even get me a good app, grandma. <laughs> like before... <laughs> before your child can finish that thought... You step in and say, hey, tell grandma, thank you. (laughs) Because you're just trying to keep it smooth, right? And you're forming the mindset of your child to be grateful when they're given something. Like that's you shaping their heart. Scripture is giving you the shot to shape your heart. And you can be relational with God. You can be humble in your prayer. You can be full of faith and tell him things you believe about him. And you can be grateful. Her, her prayer is just grateful. It just is. Now, I have no idea what your difficulty is. I don't. But I think that one of the things that you need to do through this series is fight in your prayer life to express any of these things. Can you express your relationship with God in a way that's your words, not ours? Can you express humility towards Him? Can you make a statement of faith? God, I believe this is true about you. I'm hurt. I'm confused. I'm struggling. But I believe this. Or can you be grateful for your circumstances? Any of these things. Guys, cheat off her homework. Learn from her example. And be called by God into a relationship that is willing to go back. With your darkness, with your difficulty, I know how to handle it. I am so tired of fixing my fence, but I know how. And so... In my walk with God, I'm tired of darkness and difficulty, but that's the world that I live in. And I now know through this series, I know how to handle it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would call us to maturity. God, to engage you as a spiritual father and to act on these things. Not to like something on Facebook or to have a favorite podcast or to have a favorite worship song. But God, call us to express faith through prayer. And God, help us to copy straight off Mary's homework. 
that we would either be humble or grateful or articulate faith in some way that we would step towards you in our difficulty. God, thank you for the example. And God, thank you for the opportunity. We pray that we would act on it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.